Now we're reading in John's Gospel, chapter 3, as uh, David earlier mentioned. So happens this morning, I wondered if there was a hymn ever written on John chapter 3, and lo and behold, our minister comes up with a hymn written on John chapter 3, very well-known passage, and want to encourage you to turn to it if you're using the church Bible. It's on page 1065, 1065. We have, in a way, two series on John's gospel kind of running concurrently, one on the prologue and the other on much of the rest of the gospel. And in the mornings, we uh, noted last time that John seems to set down many time markers in his gospel, a very unusual way. He indicates uh, what season of the year, what festival Jesus was attending, what time of the day or night uh, things happened at. And uh, this morning we are thinking in chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, on a night visitor. And uh, we noted last time that there are patterns in John's gospel. There's a prologue and an epilogue. Um, the gospel begins with a life uh, lived through a week, and it ends with Jesus' life lived through a week. It ends with one of His disciples leaving Jesus, the light of the world, and John tells us He went out, and it was night, and also near the beginning. We find the same play on the light and the night. But on this occasion in chapter 3, it's a Pharisee who comes in to the light from the night. So there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. 
If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Then, what I think is probably the gospel writer's own comment, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Great 19th century bishop in the Church of England, J.C. Ryle, once wrote about this passage that people can be ignorant of many things in religion and still be Christians. But to be ignorant of the matters handled in this chapter is to be on the broad way which leads to destruction. Bishop of the Church of England, don't always believe what bishops in the Church of England say, but those were serious words indeed but not overly serious, because you would notice in this passage that on several occasions, Jesus stresses the importance of what He says. Of course, everything Jesus says is important, but there are some things that Jesus actually says are really important, vitally important, absolutely essential. Of course, you can't speak in block capital letters, but someone writes an email to you, and there are words in block capital letters, they are saying to you, this is really important. And so, on several occasions in this conversation, Jesus prefaces His words by saying, verily, verily, amen, amen, or in our translations, truly, truly. Not that anything he says is ever false, but there are some things that are absolutely vital. There are some things that you must never miss. And among them is this truth he teaches Nicodemus, that he needs to be born again. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 5, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We meet Nicodemus only in John's gospel, and we meet him on three occasions. At the beginning, more or less in the middle, and almost at the end. And yet, it's surprising how much we learn about Him. We learn, for example, from this passage that He is a person of very great distinction. Jesus describes Him as the teacher in Israel, the great Israeli theologian, famous for His knowledge of the Old Testament Scriptures, His Bible, famous for His ability to teach it. 
Interestingly, actually, although uh, perhaps we envisage this as a conversation between two people, there are little hints in the passage that Nicodemus has probably brought his entourage. Jesus speaks in the plural, and Jesus is surrounded by at least some of his disciples, some of the early followers. He speaks also in the first person plural. And so, this conversation turns out to be a kind of theological seminar. The absolutely untrained rabbi, Jesus, and perhaps the greatest scholar in Jerusalem, Nicodemus. And he's a Pharisee. Uh, Not interestingly, apparently, like those Pharisees in Matthew 23, uh, whom Jesus excoriates for their sheer hypocrisy, but a Pharisee who who shows some interest in Jesus, who, who seems to respect Jesus, who's willing to call the unlettered Jesus a rabbi and a teacher, and to do so amazingly, really, in the light of the fact that just in the previous few days, Jesus has cleared the temple of all its ungodly clutter and irritated the Pharisees. And yet, Nicodemus comes to Jesus with a, with a certain respect for Jesus. We, we believe that you are a teacher sent from God. Nobody could do the kind of things you're doing unless God was with him. And we learn also that he is a ruler, perhaps belongs to the Sanhedrin. Um, Very interesting that uh, there was a family in Jerusalem just at this time, just at this time, in which every second generation would have the name Nicodemus. It just as sometimes happens in our own Scottish tradition, except they missed out a generation. Let's not do it. Let's not do it in the, you know, uh, senior and junior and then the third and then the fourth, but let's, let's do it every second generation. Let's call them Nicodemus. Fascinatingly, it was the Gurion family, which means something to those of us who are in our 60s and 70s and 80s, because we remember the father of modern Israel, David Ben-Gurion. And so, here is this man of huge distinction, and he's coming to Jesus, and others are listening, and we are having… John is giving us the opportunity to listen, and, and Nicodemus begins, Rabbi, I mean, it must have been breathtaking to the disciples. Nobody was calling Jesus rabbi. Certainly no Pharisee was calling Jesus rabbi. We know that you're a teacher sent from God. Then you notice how verse 3 begins, do you? Jesus answered him. Now, that could just mean Jesus replied to him but our translators have translated it, answered him. What does, what does the idea of answer go along with? It goes along with a question, doesn't it? Someone asks a question, somebody gives the answer. The only thing is Nicodemus hasn't asked any question. 
And I suspect what John is doing here is he's bringing us in to show us a, a part of Jesus' ministry that keeps on reappearing in John's gospel that he doesn't always answer questions, but he always answers people. He doesn't always answer questions, but he sees right into people's hearts, and he answers the real question. It's almost as though he says, Nicodemus, forget about all that stuff. Let me begin to explore with you the questions you should really be asking. Because Jesus' answer seems to have nothing to do with Nicodemus's opening gambit. It's full of respect. We know, Rabbi, that you are a teacher sent from God. Jesus, he hasn't asked a question. He seems to have shown respect to Jesus. And Jesus answers the question Nicodemus really should be asking. The question Nicodemus apparently hasn't thought of asking. And one of the things he's doing, as he does so frequently in the Gospels, is he's, he's deconstructing Nicodemus. That's what he's doing. Which, of course, is what always needs to happen to us if we're going to become Christians, isn't it? For some of us in a dramatic way, for others of us in a very quiet way, an unspectacular way. But we need to be deconstructed and then reconstructed. And this is what Jesus puts his finger on, isn't it? He says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you actually don't really know anything. Come full of respect. He didn't expect this kind of response. We know that you're a teacher sent from God because of what we see and because of what we hear. And Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, you're not actually seeing at all. You're not really hearing at all. And he's going to deconstruct him and point him to the way in which the gospel will reconstruct him and put him together in God's kingdom. So, let's look at what Jesus teaches this man Nicodemus and what he teaches us as well. The first and the most obvious thing is he teaches Nicodemus the necessity of the new birth. He teaches Nicodemus the necessity of the new birth. Notice the language in verse 3, and it's repeated in verse 5. Unless one is born again, or perhaps born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in verse 5, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, which apparently is the same thing, Unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, here is Nicodemus saying, we understand you, Jesus, and we watch you. And Jesus is saying, but Nicodemus, you don't see and you're not hearing. You, you're, you're not even a child in the kingdom of God. And what you actually need is to be born again. Nicodemus is puzzled by this. Why, why, why do I need to be born again? Jesus' answer is in verse 6, because flesh gives birth only to flesh. Only the Holy Spirit 
can give birth to spiritual life. And Nicodemus is puzzled. How can these things be? He says, and this is so fascinating, isn't it? Jesus has essentially said to him, Nicodemus, you don't understand the kingdom of God. Let me explain to you. And Nicodemus says, I don't understand. And he doesn't yet seem to grasp that he's admitting he doesn't understand the kingdom of God, even while he thinks he understands the kingdom of God. And you would think, surely John must have made this up until you actually begin to speak to people. Absolutely sure they understand the kingdom of God. Absolutely sure they understand what it means to be a Christian. Absolutely sure they understand Jesus. And the first thing they need to learn is that they're blind and they don't understand. And this was Nicodemus's basic problem, wasn't it? He thought he understood. He assumed he was in the kingdom. He was a Pharisee after all. And what Jesus has to do is to deconstruct him, to help him to see that he's blind, and to help him to see that he isn't in the kingdom of God because his flesh has given birth only to flesh. And we might think, especially if all we'd read was Matthew 23 this morning, we might think the reason Nicodemus needs to be born again is quite obvious. It's because he was a Pharisee. You know? I mean, what does, what kind of person, what kind of person does Pharisee conjure up in your mind? Clearly, such a person needs to be born again. And yet, this man isn't that kind of Pharisee. This this is the kind of man about whom people say, amazingly, I've heard people say this so often, if only he were to become a Christian, he would be a wonderful Christian. Have you heard people say that? He's such a nice man, if only he were to become a Christian, he would be a wonderful Christian because he's such a nice man. But you see what Jesus is saying? He makes it perfectly clear that Nicodemus does not need to be born again because he's a Pharisee. He doesn't need to be born again despite the fact that he's a nice man. He needs to be born again because he's flesh. He needs to be born again because he's blind. He needs to be born again because he's spiritually dead and he's outside the kingdom of God. Jesus is not teaching us here that nasty religious people need to be born again. He's teaching us here that we all need to be born again. And he makes this lucid, doesn't he? Unless anyone is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. It isn't either the Pharisee or the tramp in the gutter who needs to be born again. It's every man, woman, young man, young woman, boy, girl, born of flesh, and none of us is an exception to that, who needs to be born again. It's crystal clear, isn't it? And yet I'll never forget hearing a sermon by an ex 
Presbyterian moderator on John chapter 3 when he raised the question, do we all need to be born again? And gave the answer, well, some of us might. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's to be almost as blind as Nicodemus, isn't it? They're not hearing what he's saying. We're hearing you, Jesus, Nicodemus says. And Jesus says to him, you're not hearing me at all. Unless anyone is born again, anyone, no exception, universal necessity, unless you've been born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And you see, if my response to that is to say, I don't see it that way, you see what Jesus is saying? That's exactly my point. You're not seeing it. You think you can see, but you're not seeing it. So Jesus speaks about the necessity of the new birth, but he also gives indication to Nicodemus what the new birth is like, the nature of this new birth. And it's woven into what he teaches him. He says, now, Nicodemus, you need to understand this, that this this new birth is not a natural birth. Nicodemus says, well, how can this be? Can a man go back into his mother's womb when he's old and be born again? And he continues to make it clear he's no idea what Jesus is speaking about. No, says Jesus, this birth is supernatural. This birth is spiritual. Unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he can enter the kingdom of God. Um, What does he mean by that? Well, he he gives Nicodemus a clue. He says, look, Nicodemus, you're the teacher in Israel. You You should be able to understand this. Why should Nicodemus have been able to understand this? Because it was in his Old Testament. It was in his Bible. It was at the very heart of one of the greatest promises in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel chapter 36, which this man would have known off by heart and in Hebrew. Reading from the right to the left, he knew it off by heart. When God said to his people, now I'm going to do what you need, and that is I'm going to sprinkle you clean with clean water, and I'm going to give you the Spirit. And that's, that's what he's talking about here. Um, he's talking about a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that is by no means always dramatic. A supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that opens my eyes to see and gives me power to come to the Lord Jesus. Now, Jesus is saying that's a sovereign work. The wind, he says, it's like the wind. You the wind blows where it wills. You can't control the wind any more than King Canute could control the sea. This is a sovereign work of God. And Nicodemus, Nicodemus was schooled in the idea, religion means I can do it. 
And with his fellow Pharisees, he was obsessed with doing it. And Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, this is a really humbling thing. This is something you can't do. Um, there's, there's something very counter-cultural about this, isn't it? You need something that you cannot do that makes me say, then I will do it. I will do it. And I can do it. To which the best answer is then, show me you can do it. Bring yourself to new birth. Show me you can do it. Trust right now in the Lord Jesus Christ. This man who is speaking to Nicodemus and who is described later as the Savior of those who put their trust. Show me you can do it by right now putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Have you ever met anyone who said, I can do it anytime I want, and then challenged them in this way? And they said, I'll prove it to you, and they've done it right on the spot. Now, you see, that's the point. That's the humbling point. That must have been, that must have been overwhelmingly humbling to Nicodemus, who was so used to the idea of seeking in his religion to do what God had commanded to discover that in the first instance, he, he couldn't really see what he needed. And then in the second instance, when he was told what he needed, it was something he couldn't do. That's what he says, isn't it? He says, he doesn't say, Jesus, Jesus, help me here. Pray to your Father that the Spirit will come and give me new birth. He says, how can a man do this? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that what people say sometimes when the gospel comes to them? First of all, just show me how I can do it, and I'll do it. And this is actually what is, maybe this is most irritating to our flesh, that what we need is something to which, one, we cannot contribute, and two, we cannot do. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. Nicodemus, you need something you cannot do. You need something to which you can contribute absolutely nothing. You might say, but that kind of teaching might drive somebody to despair. Well, what do you think he's doing here? That was Nicodemus's greatest need to learn to despair of himself, because until he came to despair of himself, why would he ever look for a Savior? You see how the gospel works? It always works this way. Unless I despair of myself and my ability to contribute to my own salvation, why would I ever want a Savior? Yes, a topper-up I might want, or somebody who would improve life a little, I might want. Or somebody who would give me what I need. Or yes, it would be really nice to have peace and joy. But I'll never want a Savior until I come to the end of myself. That's why I say that Jesus is deconstructing Nicodemus in the nicest possible way. There are no hysterics here. He, he, he doesn't raise his voice the way I've just raised my voice. But he goes right for the jugular, doesn't he? David was right to say, don't, don't think gentle Jesus, meek and mild, isn't able to go for your jugular. Nicodemus, 
the greatest need you have is for something you cannot do. Because what this, what this involves is being born of water and the Spirit, experiencing the reality Nicodemus you should have known about because you knew Ezekiel chapter 36, and also Nicodemus you should have known it because of Psalm 51. But your problem is you've never been there, have you? You've never been to the place where you've said to the Lord, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Wash me. Oh, don't take your spirit from me, but give your spirit to me. Give me a new heart. You, you've never been there, Nicodemus, but you should have known. You should have known from David. You should have known from the prophets that your greatest need is to be washed. And then to be able to see and to trust and to come. And this, of course, it's enshrined in this. Is, it's rather beautiful the way it happens because you'll notice in, in the third place, if Jesus speaks about the necessity of the new birth and the nature of the new birth, He speaks about the consequences of the new birth. What's the, how would you know you had been born again from above? Well, you wouldn't know it by kind of looking in here and saying, has, has there been a new birth here? No, says Jesus, it's like this. He, he says to Nicodemus, who knew this story off by heart, he'd been taught it from his childhood. You remember that plague when the people of God were dying in the wilderness and God told Moses to make this brass serpent figure. And when people looked to that figure, they lived instead of died. He said, Nicodemus, did it never cross your mind that that was a picture of something? In the same way, he says, the Son of Man, this is Jesus' favorite way of describing himself, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who looks to him will live, will trust in him and be saved. And so John makes this comment. I think it's John making the comment in verse 16. What is the truth that Jesus is teaching here? It's that God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but of everlasting life. That's the great evidence, the great consequence of this supernatural sovereign work of God taking place in my heart that I say, I believe in you, Jesus. I trust in you, Jesus. I want to live for you, Jesus. You know, it really is possible to be blind to this. About 40 years ago, before some of you were born, I was driving along a country road, I think in Ayrshire, going to preach in a church service, and I thought there'll be a service on the radio. I'll listen to the service on the radio. And I came in just when the Bible reading had begun, and they were reading John chapter 3, and they were doing it in two voices. One voice, Nicodemus, the other voice, Jesus. I thought, we're going to get something here. Do you know how the sermon began? Did you notice the really significant thing about that conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus? They would have used each other's names. 
And the whole sermon was on how important your name is. Unless you're born from above, you can't see the kingdom of God. Do you see it? What does it mean to see the kingdom? What does it mean to enter the kingdom? It means to see Jesus. Not just as a teacher sent from God, but as a Savior of sinners, and yourself as a sinner who needs a Savior, and to realize He's been sent from God, and He's for me, and to trust Him, to come to an end of yourself and your doing, and trust Him and what He has done. I think that's why there's a story about the great 18th century evangelist George Whitfield, who frequently preached on John 3, verse 3, and a lady, a titled lady, stopped him one day and said, Mr. Whitfield, why are you always preaching? You must be born again. And he said to her, because, madam, you must. Well, have we been born again? In a sense, it doesn't matter that we, that we understand this label or even understand everything that Jesus is saying here. How would we know we've been born again? Actually, not by understanding all of this but by looking to the one who was lifted up on the cross to bring sinners like ourselves forgiveness. Because you see, it's that that changes the significance for us of the words that we so often sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Does he need to deconstruct you and reconstruct you, give you a new beginning? Keep your eyes fixed on Him. Our Heavenly Father, thank You for the privilege of eavesdropping on this conversation so long ago and yet so, so amazingly contemporaneously and personally relevant to us. We pray You would work secretly in our hearts that none of us may be in any doubt that you've given this new birth to us, because with all our hearts we look to your Son, the Lord Jesus, lifted up on the cross for us and for our sins. Trust Him as our Savior and our Lord. Oh, may this be true for each of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.